Good morning. Greetings to each one in the name of Jesus. Trust you're here this morning and as we've been blessed in singing and worshiping together. <clears throat> are you a part of the church at rest this morning? We look farther, we look forward to a time of when our toils are over and our labors cease and that complete rest, if you will, but I believe there's a sense in which God has given each one of us the provisions we need to be a part of the church at rest, but not out of work. At rest, but not without vision, not without duties, not without passion, not without this not without that which Brother Josh mentioned the word koinonia. I was thinking this week too, won't come into focus in the message as much, but but that that aspect of our German forefathers that used the word Gelassenheit. That spirit of yieldedness and contentment. Trusting in God. Trusting in God. For the message this morning, I would invite you to First <clears throat> John chapter 2. How many of you, brethren, I know a number of you all were up for some of the minister study this week. Saw a few of you there. I can't remember who all for sure. But this message is, it might have a few a few comments related to what we were blessed with this past week, but it uh, comes out of a previous uh, labor. First John chapter 2, I want to begin reading in verse 13. Before I read this, these verses, I would just make us to think a little bit. We like the positives of life, don't we? We tend to th- like positive things. Do we ever face any negatives? I think we all do. From getting the kind of candy we don't like to whatever it could be. Sometimes we do focus quite a bit on the positives, and that is good. Here in this passage, there are some negatives that are presented in a very positive way. And I want to look at those with you this morning. Notice those that were on the heart of the writer, John, here. He says in verse 13, I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong. And the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, 
but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Isn't that a picture of rest? Abiding not only now, but forever. I'd like to think with you as we look at these verses this morning with the theme and focus of steadfastness against the winds of the world. Um, and what John writes here in these verses have a, a sense of a negative perspective to them, but it's for a very positive result. We were butchering yesterday, and uh, some of the family were there helping, number quite a few, and you know, it's, it's, it's wonderful to allow children to be a part of such things. and They want to help and they want to do this. And those young children come and they want, can I cut meat? I ask them, well, have you peeled potatoes? <laughs> and you know, they're, they're in the process of learning, but it doesn't hurt to give them just a few pointers as to which way the knife points as to which way the knife travels, that you, generally speaking, don't cut toward yourself, and a few other things. Now, some of those, you know, if you had that mindset, you could say, well, those pointers are very negative. They're telling me how I have to use this knife. Right? But it doesn't hurt to tell them about your cousin that cut his tendon in his thumb because he didn't steal a knife properly. Or someone else who had another mishap. And it, it's done in love. And here we have him reminding the fathers, the young men, that they have been told, they've been taught, they've, they have an understanding, and yet he's reminding them of some things. And we need reminders this morning because sometimes... In the humdrum of life and the complexity of complacency, the spiritual blood flow in our veins isn't what it ought to be. And some of these other things that he points out can come to take a role in a way that is de detrimental, can be catastrophic for the hope of being a part of the church at rest. Love not the world. Why can't we love the world? I want to look at just a few points this morning to remind us of what is involved when the love of the world comes into focus. We understand that our Lord coming to the earth with his divine work, divine power, shed some real light on the darkness about us in the world about us. In 1 John, here in this verse 15, we see, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We see that there is incompatibility 
And sometimes, you know, it's like mixing oil and water. And yes, if you stir hard enough and frantic enough, if you want to live that way, you can try to convince yourself you've mixed it. Do we understand what he means when he says, love not the world? What does it mean when we view the world in the, in the light of the words of Jesus when he says, Go ye therefore, teaching all nations, baptizing them, making disciples. What does it mean? How do we relate to the world? The world in this passage is not the beauty of the physical world. This morning, we, my wife and I, had quite a few minutes to view a beautiful sunrise. Beautiful sunrise. God's creation. He said it was very good. It's not the essence of the human aspect or mankind, and yet there is a sense in which Aspects of the world, the spirit of this world can reside within the heart of carnal man, unregenerate man. And yet Christ so shed his blood to pave the way that the love of God would be understood. I want to look at three of these things that are listed, three of these areas, points in in verse 16, and you might think, well, we basically understand what they say, but let's look at them a little bit in light of some other passages. I think it helps me to compare some scripture with scripture to more fully embrace and absorb what is being said. Let's look in Galatians 5, chapter 19. I'm sorry, in Galatians 5, verse 19. Um, here we have some very, in this scripture, we have some positives, we have some negatives. But I want to focus on what it says here about the elements of the world that he is warning them to love not the world. This comes in a passage of verses that speaks of the, the uh, way of life, of walking in the Spirit. <clears throat> I want to read verses 19 through 21. Now notice what is being said here. We'll look at some of these words a little more in detail. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murderers, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Then he goes on to enumerate the fruit of the Spirit. The beauty of the fruit of the Spirit of God indwelling and filling, coursing through our 
veins in life that we can sense his direction that others can observe in us. This past week I told a young brother, not real young I guess, I'm not sure, he's probably less than middle age, but I just told him, I said, you know, I don't see him very often, and I told him, I said, in the last couple days, two different people mentioned some comments regarding him. I said, their, their comments indicated that the grace of God is at work in your life. And he was a bit hesitant to receive that commendation. But it, it's, it's not of him. It's of God to walk, to be at rest in the church of God, to be at peace, to, to be laboring. And we see that in comparison to what is named here. When we think of the lust of the flesh, sometimes I think we tend to focus on, by and large, on these areas that are enumerated in verse 19, and we surely do well to make sure and, and note them, duly note them, and that we don't find ourselves or, or others that consider themselves to be sons and daughters of the king to be involved in those things that should not once be named in among you. And yet, apart from the indwelling and the filling and the abiding and the abundance of the Spirit of God, there is a possibility that those things will grow roots. Some of these we would think, well, they're far from us. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance. That we were talking about our lessons on brotherhood. If I gave you a tablet, a sheet of paper, and told you to write down of this list of the works of the flesh, which one of these fell into gross and grievous sins? Where does variance fall? It really speaks quite a, quite a lot to what we can struggle with in our ability to be interdependent and work together as brothers and sisters. I was thinking driving down here I was just rejoicing our old van. It's not real old, not real new, but it's appreciated. It's fairly quiet. And I thought, and I wonder how quiet those electric vehicles are. Because you can't hear the motor in it run, basically, unless you have to scurry about or something. And, and then I thought, you know, that's a little bit like we are sometimes. We're not happy not being heard. We like to knock a few baffles out of the muffler and make sure people know how what the noise we make. Sources of variance. But when we are dead on the altar, 
it takes a lot of that out of the picture. And the more people can see Christ in you and in me, the less they'll focus on the terrible shape we're in, apart from Christ. Those potential things that have the ability to annoy, but when our confidence is in the Lord, and our spirit is not focused on loving the world. Now, we're talking about the lust of the flesh here, and I, I took you to Galatians 5. I'd like to think with you a little bit more, make it more practical. Because you, if you're like me, you notice things at times. You see things in, in the world around you. You see what people do. What causes people to do what they do? When we're thinking about being steadfast as a people of God against the winds of the world, what do they see in me that they wonder why I do that? Who taught Ellis to do that? Where did he learn that from? We learn things. I think it was last summer, I'm not sure quite when. There was a um, few of us neighbors were gathered at my aunt's place, who is also a neighbor. And um, a few of the neighbors, you know how it can be. Sometimes you know the neighborhood, but you don't interact with some as much as others. And... Um, one of the neighbors were there, his, where his wife was there with their son. And he was like a junior in high school, I believe. Tall, gangly, strapping guy. Uh, quite, quite sizable for his age. And um, just looking at him, you would think, well, not a lot there as far as the heritage which we were given as far as training and teaching. And yet there was a sense of respect in spite of his, some aspects of his appearance. He had his bill cap on. But what surprised me was I didn't expect him to take his cap off when we prayed for the meal. He did. Somebody taught him that. Somewhere. He didn't get that out of thin air. I don't think that came out of a rap song. And that blessed me. To know that there was some sort, some sense of instruction from, of a godly sort. Another young fellow that I've come to know and he has a background that would cause most of us to just shake our heads and say, why does it have to be that way? The lust of the flesh. He put on some stones, ear stones. But you see, this focus of the lust of the flesh is oriented somewhat toward 
sexual or social carnality. It, it has a bent that direction. And so when John writes to them, love not the world, he says, the world are these, for the lust of the flesh, the, um, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. He, he phrases it that way. But I want you to think with me, how many times are those things that we face and make choices on related to our response carnally for personal purposes, for social goals, motivations, relationships? Socially, it talks about variance there, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. All of these, dear ones, we need to guard against, but I think sometimes we can fall prey to that aspect in this area of the lust of the flesh. That which we want to be a certain way, that which we feel must be a certain way. And you know, the more corners we get knocked off, the sooner the better in life, in relationships. We don't all have the same opportunities. I've been so grateful for the aspects in which travel service and culture, mission work, you just go serve and you will get some corners knocked off. Abroad or at home, it doesn't matter. But those things help you understand each other a little bit and, and yet there's more to be understood as we go through life. Because we need, we are called to love those people that have a complete, their perspective is at, at complete opposite of what the scripture teaches us. I was going up South Main there one day and I saw someone walking and I would not have known that it was not a woman had it not been for their hair and a fairly heavy dark beard. Where did he learn that? Somewhere he learned it. Chose it. Has come to embrace it. Is considering it as an option. Where are we getting our instruction? Where are we drawing the determination of input for how we live out and make those decisions that affect our choices on the basis of the word, of the, on the basis of having a love for those in the world, but not a love for the things of the world. Let's move on to the other element that is noted here. Let me go back to the text passage. The lust of the eyes, 
the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, are all closely associated. And yet, I am so glad for eyesight because as we grow older, we make adjustments and we maybe suffer injuries, whatever, and we begin to realize that it doesn't work quite like it did. And yet we're so glad we have what we do. Have you ever experienced that? That's, that's um, a, um, an element of it. And yet the lust of the eyes has the potential to bring in to one's mind things that are unlawful, things that the world has to offer, offer. And um, the lust of the eyes has a way of catering to the whims of the flesh, the lust of the flesh. I'd like to look at two passages here relating to this. But the element of covetousness. When we are at peace with God in our walk, content in, in the leading of His Spirit, we are less troubled, less tempted to be Tempted with struggling with covetousness. But in Ephesians 5, I'd like to look at a few words that Paul writes to them there. Verses 5 through 7 are what I have in focus. For this know ye that no whoremonger... Now here, this is speaking somewhat to that list we looked at in, in Galatians. For this know ye, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be, be not ye therefore partakers with them. He's warning us against the potential that these things have to war against the soul. In fact, the scriptures talk about that in another place, of these elements of sin that war against the soul. Verse 6 in this chapter, in this writing here in Ephesians 5, really caught my attention. Um, I'm not sure what you think of when you think of vain words. But if you look up that, I found it interesting. The definition is fairly straightforward, but it also included the thought of a vain as in the sense of boasting of faith, yet not bearing or manifesting the fruits of faith. Um, and that's oftentimes what happens when... The love for the world is not extinguished. There is the profession of a faith that does not bear the fruits of repentance and of faith. Sometimes we see circumstances or situations where someone is something that they may not really be. I know 
and there's typically not any good purpose for that. And I know some time ago I was reading how over in in the war in in Ukraine they were building these fake pieces of military equipment out of whatever plywood, cardboard, and they would put them in places to draw the fire of the enemy. But what virtue is that in the kingdom of God? For us to appear to be something we are not. There is no value. There is no virtue. In in that mode of operation. Rather, the scriptures teach us, as Titus wrote in chapter 2, verse 12, he teaches us as well that this love of the world, it has no virtue, it has no value in any of the regards that he warns us against it, that John warns us against it. But he says it teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, he, he brings that into focus. Those things need to be laid aside. We should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. As we look at life around us and we wonder what makes them tick, what makes them do what they do, let us not forget. Give ourselves a quiz occasionally. Why do I do what I do? For what purpose? For whose glory? That which is sought after will eventually reveal itself. We were at a viewing recently. Knew one of the family members quite well. And uh, my wife and I hadn't met the other family members very much. I guess I hadn't met any, many of them at all. And as we went down the family line, we briefly got acquainted to meet the brothers and sisters of this family member we did know well. And we got to the end of the line and there was a sister standing there and my wife tried to figure out who she was. And we came to the realization that here she was the wife of one of the brothers of the family that he had divorced in recent years. A sad and awkward line to pass through. And yet, I would dare say that there was some of the love of the world involved in that scenario. And we can say, well, that's, that's difficult, and it is, but I want to add the expression of grace that that sister expressed was a blessing to me. It did not manifest deep bitterness or variance. She acknowledged God's hand in it that she wouldn't do it any different. 
I don't know that situation in detail, but I tend to see when I hear that expression of peace, there is a person that is resting in the Lord. There's a person that is finding rest in God's plan for their life. There's a person that looks to the highway for direction in overcoming the temptations of, of our walk. Colossians chapter 3. Familiar words. If ye then be risen. But down in verse 5 of chapter 3 it says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the children... For, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Then he goes on to say this, and don't miss this. In, in verse 7 he says, In the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. The scriptures draw that contrast many times between the time when those were called out of darkness into the kingdom of light. And yet that challenge of drawing that distinction and un understanding that, that the power, the strength that we have as John wrote to the men and the young men there in 1 John 2, there is a distinction. And in, I heard a term used recently. And I think, it, I think it was said this way, the gospel of sin management. I don't know what you hear when you heard me say that, but I said let's be careful. The gospel of sin management. That is not what John is telling them here. He is writing, he is he is pleading with them. You have the resources. He says, you have known him. You have overcome the wicked one. I think Brother Mark brought that element of knowledge out in the devotional passage from John this morning, John 17. You have known him, that is, from the beginning. What is your belief this morning? What foundation are you standing on? Is it one that will carry you safely across the fiery darts of the evil one and the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life? What score are you getting on egotism? Selfishness, pride, braggadocia. It affects all of us, potentially, in any age. You know, it's interesting to I mentioned children and their development, and they, they have an a intriguing display of 
trying to grapple with some of these elements of, of their person, who they are, and what they stand for. In the innocence of the unregenerate age, and yet we see some expressions of the flesh, some picking and choosing. I told my son yesterday, <laughs> a number of them were there, and I, I uh, had talked to his little daughter, and then I went around and I told my son, I was sort of tongue-in-cheek, I said, I said, son, I have found in your little girl a character flaw. She was there at the snack table, and she had gotten a piece of this quite delectable cake. It it's played all the chords in the taste buds of my mouth, I tell you. It, it was harmonious. <laughs> and, and yet she was over there picking the raisins out of this cake and putting them back in the cake pan. And I thought, you know, isn't that just like us sometimes? We got inclinations to pick and choose what we're willing to think we'll tolerate rather, rather than taking it to our Heavenly Father and saying, Father, should I eat this? <laughs> should I tolerate this? Is this okay? What do you say? The pride of life. Our age, experience... Our ancestry, that which we've accomplished, that which we have or don't have, the perception of positions, what is in focus? First Corinthians chapter 1. Latter part of the chapter, verse 26. a deep principle here. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of, this, of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that, uh, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. And that's indeed in the scriptures a number of ways and places. But that concept is, is a foundational element that must be a part of of our spiritual DNA. To be overcomers. Our love of the world, I see our time is, is soon going to be gone here this morning. But if we tolerate and cultivate a love of the world, there will be little room for the freedom of the Father to work in us. I was blessed this past week. 
couple of the young men that were there at Minister Study Week shared some information regarding things that happened in their lives, decisions they took that caused them to make dramatic changes to life, whether it was selling the farm, to move to an outreach location, whatever the case would be, whatever the details were. But what blessed me was the peace with which they expressed God's blessing in taking that decision. A decision that they did not make based on what they wanted, what they desired, their preferences. In fact, the one made a comment, he says, and, and you, can, you can ask yourself this this morning as you think about how interdependent you are as brothers and sisters. Do you feel like your brothers and sisters are better equipped to ask you to go and serve in this place or that place or this area, this work or that work, than you yourself? Do you have confidence in God to work through them, their perspectives? If you're open with your brothers and sisters like you ought to be, like we ought to be, I think there is a sense in which they have a great deal of insight. And if we operate on the basis of the direction of the Spirit, in the light of the body, in the light of our life in general, I believe, dear ones, this morning we will have excellent possibilities for overcoming a love for the world. There is power in the blood. So as you labor and worship this morning, where do you find yourself? I trust you find yourself at rest in the church of God. Perhaps when we find ourselves struggling, we need to scoot a little closer to the Almighty. where we can hear his direction better than our own argument. May God bless each of us as to that goal this morning. I'd like to ask our chorister to lead us in number 260. I think that's the tune I would prefer unless you would feel the congregation here should use 261. Before he does that, I would just remind you of this hymn. It is a very deep hymn. I need not tell you that. But the references of the writer indicate a knowledge of the writings of Isaiah, the dealings of God with his people, I ask you this morning, do we have, do I have, do you have that same level of confidence as is described in this hymn? Shall we worship? Uh.